Well, I hope you brought your own Bible this morning. If you did not, there is a Bible in the pew ahead of you. Page 524 is where our reading this morning is found from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning can be found in Exodus 3, verses 14 through 17. Exodus 3, 14 through 17. And if you want to get your pew Bible, it's early. It's on page 55 in your pew Bible, page 55. Exodus 3, starting in verses, verse 14, going through 17. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. New Testament reading from the book of Acts, chapter 17. Please follow along, if you can, in your pew Bible on page 1022. Acts 17, verses 2 through 4. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. The Gospel reading, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. My name is Greg. I want to thank you all for wearing your name tags through January. I know it feels a little bit like uh, either a 12-step meeting or a convention or something, um, but the truth is that my brain space is too limited. And after three times, I no longer have the will to ask somebody to say their name again. It's just too embarrassing. 
And the bad news is that some of you are as bad off as I am or worse. So it's time that we uh, don't have to ask for a week and have the grace of being able to just quickly look down and see that indeed we are talking to Greg and uh, whatever your name is. And, and so I'm glad that we're doing this. Thank you. Uh, I do want to uh, just say a few things that are in your bulletin and talk a little bit about uh, the last month. First of all, my gratitude to all of you who held down the fort, um, Milton and Peter this year particularly, Linda for the Christmas program, and uh, all of you who helped out with the uh, Christmas Eve midnight service. How many of you were here for that? Was it a blessing? Yeah. All six of you. Where were the rest of you? 11 o'clock past your bedtime, maybe? I don't know. Maybe visiting relatives. I hope your Christmas was really wonderful. Christmas Eve, we were at Lake Malawi, and it was warm, and the water was clear and beautiful, and we were busy getting all kinds of parasites and infestations. So we are uh, looking forward to um, some major debugging here in the next month. Um, because that's just the way it is. You swim in Lake Malawi, you have a really good chance of getting Bilarzia, which is a worm that goes from your intestines to your brain after 90 days. So I, I hope that the medications work. Um, no guarantee you're going to get... Yeah, gross, I know it is. <laughs> Africa's lovely and there are all kinds of bugs, uh, I got to tell you. You haven't lived until you've been eating and dung beetles are flying around you. And they're about the size of a baseball, just to put it in perspective. So if one of them happens to hit a light and skip down onto the table, it might land in your lap or in your hair. It's just a, a fascinating uh, sort of experience, not for the faint of heart. We saw all kinds of critters, too. We saw, I saw the tail of a black mamba. For those of you who don't know, that has a fatality rate of 100% inside of an hour. Uh, there is no surviving that bite without antivenom. It's 100% fatal. We saw elephants. We saw, well, you name it. What we didn't see, just to make it easier for you, is we didn't see African wild dogs. You can see what those look like. They're kind of, they kind of look like hyenas, and they're on uh, my son's Facebook page if you're interested in seeing what that looks like. And we didn't get to see leopard. Those can be hard to find, and indeed we weren't fortunate enough to see that, but we saw tons of other things. Quick report on the boys, as you may know, Brennan is not there alone. He's with Reese Reiner, and many of you know Scott Reiner because he was CEO at Glendale Adventist Medical Center for a time and is now up at corporate, and their children went to Crescenta Valley, so those of you who have that connection know who they are. They traveled with us. We had a wonderful uh, connection and time. Two families got along famously, but both of our boys have lost between 10 and 15 pounds each. So keep them in your prayers. They are, uh, it, is, it is not easy to be there. And as we walked around the streets of Blantyre, while the Malawians are just incredibly nice people and generally docile people, um, they're not warring and, and rioting and fact, factious, and they're just not that kind of people. They're, they're, they're very docile, really. But between the poverty and the drinking and then the snorting of uh, lighter fluid, um, some of the men become rather insane and uh, aggressive. And so uh, the boys are at risk because they're perceived to be rich. 
And they make $200 a month, which means that they are rich. Uh, $200 a month is almost four times what the average man makes working in Malawi. And yet on American, to American standards, it's a pittance. And uh, certain luxuries that we might take for granted, uh, like, oh, I don't know, uh, foodstuffs, for example, um, are, are not possible to get there or are enormously expensive. So we were happy to try to fatten the boys up and to give them some encouragement. And again, I do so much appreciate, so much. You have no idea how much I appreciate your concern for our children, for um, your prayers for them, for the ways in which you've kept in touch with them, uh, for your, your generosity toward them. It's just uh, really beautiful. And uh, there's some things in the bulletin that I list that, that you can pray for. There's also one picture of Brennan. I said there were two. That's just a communication issue between Travis and myself. Um, but you can see him there kind of scowling into the sun. So he didn't let me take his picture much. He doesn't like my camera. It's kind of like your mother with the old Instamatic thing with the big flash bulb on the side in the digital age. If she were to run around and want to take your picture and then get it developed and all of that, that's kind of how my son looks at me when I take his picture with my uh, old, old digital camera. So there it is. Um, can we remember? I'm going to just put this up here in case you forget, and then uh, I don't have to hear that rustle. It's really good to be home, good to be back. I wanted to... Uh, qualify today's talk just a bit. I don't presume to know the real history of God. We have an earthly history. That is to say, we can trace human understandings and perceptions about who God has been through the ages. We have uh, a variety of ways of knowing, and these are very complex. Um, students of philosophy spend their time in what we call epistemologies. You all, many of you know that word, but for those of you who don't, let's just say that word together. Epistemology. Epistemology is the study of how we know what we know. And since people are concerned with that, one of the things that, uh, one of the epistemologies or ways we know what we know is through revelation. As Christians, we believe that God is unique in that God is one who reveals God's self to us. And that is a source of true knowledge for us. And so revelation is one of the epistemologies that we will look at to kind of talk about God's story today. There are others. There's being, which is uh, ontology, basically. The fact that we are, the fact that something is, the fact that the universe is versus nothing, the fact that it's organized versus just purely chaotic, the fact that chaos yields to a larger order as we know, these things help us know something about the story of God. Acts 17, Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being, being being the sort of basis of existence, as you know. We're grounded, our very lives, our very world, our very uh, foundations are built upon that there is something versus isn't something. 
There are other ways of knowing as well, and my purpose is not to give you a philosophy lecture today, so we'll leave those be. But when we're telling the story of or God's story, there are a couple of parts that we have more knowledge about than others. The first thing that we know about God is that He's generative, He creates. God creates. That's the first thing we know. We know this by being. We know this by observation of the world around us. And we know this by revelation. Now, what Revelation shares with us about the story of creation is that it tells us things that we could not have known about God. And I'll get to those in just a moment. But creating is a very special kind of activity. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago I was talking about God's work and our work, the way in which our work mirrors the work of God in the world. One of the things that God does in creativity, having made us in His image, is He made us to be creative. He made us procreative, first of all, which is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. We in our bodily existences, we have a finite time on this earth, but we have the privilege of raising children who will raise children who will raise children, who will raise children who will raise children. We have the privilege of being image bearers who reproduce that image or distort it. We have the capacity to destroy the image of God on earth as well as replicate it. This is a godlike power. Yes? And this is why God is so careful in instructing us on how we might live so as not to demolish His image in creation. We are uniquely fashioned and formed. And we are creative in the sense that we generate. We generate things. When I was a boy, we had a uh, mill yard up from our house about a mile Tuolumne County, where I grew up, used to be all lumber. There were 42 mills in Tuolumne County and sluices that ran from the high mountains down into the valley so that logs could run down the sluices in these water uh, sluices to be milled into lumber. The redwood forests were up where we were. And, you know, if you know the old houses, even the old ones in Newhall, they're made of redwood, basically. My 1917 bungalow in Hollywood was almost 100% redwood. The framing was, was cedar, but all of the trim and siding were redwood. And this all came from the California forests at this time. By the time we moved to California in 1969, only four mills existed, and shortly thereafter it went down to three in Tuolumne County, and Hatler Lumber Company was one of them up a mile from the road. They not only had a mill yard, but they had a junkyard there. Now, you can imagine what I, as a boy, wanted to do on Sabbath afternoon. Dinner was there. We weren't allowed to swim. We weren't allowed to bike. We weren't allowed to do a lot of things, but I still found my way to the junkyard. My rationale at the time was that, well, God made the metal. That was lame, wasn't it? But I was fascinated by what humankind had created with the materials that God had created. And we participate in forming a world 
in creating a world, in creating a civilization, in creating a culture, in creating a church, if you will, we, we participate in those creative acts. We generate those things. I'm here to tell you, as, as much credit as God gets for everything in the universe, God did not build the automobile. We did. Now, did he give us the mental power? Did he give us the ingenuity? Did he give us the raw materials? Did we destroy the earth in the process of building the automobile? Yeah, we kind of blew it on that one. Had some work to do in figuring those pieces out. A lot of work to do going forward. We didn't make oil. That was there already. But we took the things of this earth and we manufactured out of creativity and the belief that creation was orderly and God had made things in such a way that we could, we could do science. We could test an element and empirically prove that it would behave the same way over and over and over again. And out of all of this came technologies that bring us to the day where I can fly in an aluminum tube for 40 hours and arrive in Africa. I want out of the aluminum tube. I'm done flying for a while. <clears throat> so we participate in this miracle. It's not just an extrapolation. It's no accident that we're organizers, that we take chaos and move it to order if we can. This isn't accidental. It's no accident that we're able to create beautiful works of art and to symbolize our thoughts in language and symbolize our language in symbolic gestures that we write on a page. You see, God is generative, and the peace that we know from Scripture, from Revelation, is that God is generative out of word. God spoke, and it was. I love the imagery in C.S. Lewis. I don't know that it's necessarily essentially accurate, but being a musician, he describes the creator, Aslan the lion, in the, lion, in the uh, Chronicles of Narnia series. He describes Aslan the lion, who is a figure of Christ and the creator, singing the world into existence, this deep, low lion voice. We saw lions mating, by the way. Now, lions are very impressive creatures. 800 pounds for the male, 850. They're big. You have to see their heads. It's like he could take my head off in one bite with his head. I don't have anything to compete with the lion with. It's just in, totally intimidating. But the mating isn't very impressive. It's about four seconds, and it's all over with. Every 20 minutes for four days, though, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> oh, come on, laugh. God's the inventor of humor, too, after all. So out of this beautiful created word, we're told that he speaks and it comes to be. That imagery from C.S. Lewis, God singing the world into existence. There's something generative. So that's one of the first things we know about the story of God. And generativity has a root word that speaks of giving, doesn't it? When we say church budget is on the docket today for our offering, please be what? Oh, you're good. Generous. 
Does that not have the same root word as generativity or creativity or creation or making something? Yes? It does. God creates out of his generousness. Generosity becomes one of the parts of the story of God. There's more. Through Revelation, we know that it wasn't just a singular being present in creation. It was what I call, well, what doctrine calls Trinity, what I call a social group. There's a sort of social thing happening in this that can't be ignored. John, we read of Christ being there in creation, John 1, in the beginning was the word, generativity. And in Genesis 1, we have a spirit of God over the waters. There's something going on. And here's why this is significant, because I know our, some of our forefathers didn't agree that there were three. But here's why I think this is really important. I understand that there are 44 terms in the Quran describing Allah, attributes of Allah. Did you know that love is not one of them? And yet we say God is love. Now let me ask you a question. Does love exist in a solitudinous way? No. Love exists only as it's expressed for other. So this social reality we call God, Father, Son, Spirit, only Christians can say God is love. Because out of love came a creativeness, a giving, if you will, a generativity that made all that is possible. What do you think? What do you think? When we think about the story of God, and it will have an impact on our story, we can say three things very readily. Some through revelation. Some we say by observation of the universe. Some we say because we are versus we aren't. We can say that God is the ground of everything that is. We can say that God is a social reality whose core essence is love. We can say that God is creative and creator and that out of word, chaos moves to order. That which isn't becomes. 
and that having been made in his image after his likeness, we too have power in word. That's why we're sitting and listening and speaking today. It's why this time is important. It's because the Word of God, when it is given and planted and put into your heart, generates something unexpected. It's living. This is what's so remarkable about our Bibles, by the way. This is why it's so sad that so few of us ever read our Bibles. It's because the Bible isn't just empty words. Oh, there are some hard stories. And I don't want to pretend for a minute that the theologies that we can derive are cohesive or even easy. They're none of those. It takes a great deal of work to sometimes make sense of some of the stories of Scripture. We have to put them in into a historical context. We need to know something about the language they were written in or the people they were written for or to. We have a lot of work to do sometimes if we're going to dig deeply and know. It's not just us reading from a 21st century rational point of view. We want to hear God speak. Because if He will speak, and He does, something will generate, right? His speech is productive. It's creative. It does something in you. And so this is the Bible for us. The Bible is living. It speaks. While we would say the Bible is small W word, Jesus is the big W word, the Bible as its word reflective of word generates. It speaks. It, it's created in 2,000 years 2.2 billion followers. It's not insignificant. And while we've got a lot of work to do because there are six, seven billion people on this planet, the word continues to generate, to grow. God's word, when it goes forth, when it goes out, continues to be productive. We can say that about God as well. So the story of God is one of giving one of loving, one of producing. The story of God intersects with our story because it is one of being upon whom our very existence is grounded. The stories that the texts that we read today bring us have to do with another revealed piece. And it's connected to what we've already discussed and discovered in Exodus, the story that we were reading took place at the burning bush, Exodus 3. Feel free to find it. Moses has not just been born and raised by his birth mother and given over to a princess and trained in the ways of Egypt as a prince, but he has killed the Egyptian overseer that we story we're familiar with and fled. He's landed in a place named Midian where he has served a priest, shepherd priest named Jethro, and married his daughter, Zipporah. And God has done a work in Moses' life that only time can do. See, sometimes God does something instantly in people's lives, 
There are healings. There are things, insights that change us in a moment, change our mindset, change our way of thinking. But mostly what we find is that God works in our lives over time. I know that at my age now, I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago. Well, I am in most respects, but I'm not the same. Certainly not the same as 20 years ago, nor 30. There's a continuity, an essence, a continuing in being. There's a vestige of an image, a a remembrance of my old self, but I continue in God's presence to change and grow. Moses has had 40 years of boredom, a lot of time to think through his life, a lot of time to tend sheep, which are not the brightest of creatures, by the way. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's God telling us something as well. I made you in my image. I gave you speech. I gave you all kinds of powers of mind, and yet sometimes in what you choose, you're not the brightest of creatures. We wander and go astray, each to our own way. And one day he comes upon the bush that is burning but not being consumed, and he knows some sort of magic is at work. Something amazing is happening. And as he approaches, he hears a voice. Moses, take off your shoes. You're beginning to walk on holy ground. Oh, do you run? Do you hide? Bury your face in your cloak? Do you run back to Jethro and ask what it is? What do you do? Moses takes off his shoes and he approaches and he probably feels really silly. I know I would feel really silly, but he starts talking to a bush, a bush that's burning but not being burned up. And as it would turn out, God is desirous that Moses should go back to Egypt and speak to the Pharaoh because it's time for his people to go to worship him to offer their sacrifices, to have their sins cleansed, to be forgiven, to experience this presence of God which we were all created for. And Moses says, well, so I go back to Israel and they say, who sent you to us? What am I to say your name is? And God says, tell them I am that I am sent you. Wow. That's intense. It's not John, Peter, Bill, Bob. No. Tell them that the ground of everything that exists is sending you. That being itself is sending you. That existence and the power and generativity of word is sending you. For I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the Lord. On your bulletin is the Hebrew for Yahweh. The pronunciation was lost 
centuries ago because somewhere along the line, the Hebrew people began to feel that it was actually a violation of the commandment to speak the name of God. And so nobody knows for certain how to pronounce it because it is all consonants written without vowels, unpronounceable in written form, so that the name of God can never be taken in vain. Scholars, Jewish scholars, have added vowels, and probably the closest is Yahweh, Yahweh, but we don't know. It's translated Lord many times in your Bible. But this is part of the story of God. The story of God is that not only does He create, not only is His essence love, not only is He the ground of all being, but He reveals to us His name. He gives us His name, and that's personal. It's not just an abstract energy out there. Not a moonbeam or a photon or some sort of electrical energy in the universe. It's not an electrical field that somehow changed the chemical nature of a bit of slime in a pit somewhere here 300, 600, 800, billion, million, whatever years ago. It's not God. He's the one with the name that you can't pronounce. He's the Lord. He's not only creator, but he's then master of everything. And he's the one who calls you and sends you by name. Not only does he reveal his name, he calls you and sends you by name. Now, next week, we're going to get to some of God's other attributes, His self-sacrificing nature, the way in which love plays itself out, the way in which He's chosen not only to be creative but redemptive, the ways in which God's stories continue to inform our lives and our story. But why have I told you all this this morning? Hey, I hope that as the word goes out to you, it, it finds a place in your heart and it begins to stimulate your thinking and change you in some way. That's, that's the main purpose of preaching. But I've shared all of this with you because the story of God is the most important story you can learn. It's the most important story you can know. It's the greatest truth you can ever come to begin to apprehend. And it's the greatest thing that you can give to your children. And after that, after we've talked about the story of God, we'll talk about our story collective. And then we'll talk about our story maybe as a denomination or as a church. We'll try to pull from history what insights we can about where we've come from and where we might be going. We're going to reacquaint ourselves as a congregation about why it is that we would call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists in the first place. And why it's important, why it matters, why this little tiny insig relatively insignificant group of people, 16 million out of what, six or seven billion? We're nothing. And yet God has spoken. And God has led. 
God has been generous and revealed Himself and called us and called you by name. And once we look at that story, we're going to start telling our stories. I want you to think about maybe six months from now or three months from now. I want you to be thinking about what God might want you to share about your story with the rest of God's people. Because you're grounded in Him the same as I am. He knows you by name, same as He knows me by name. Greg, it's right there. He has a purpose for me, same as for you. He's moved in my life and He's moved in yours in ways you may not even be aware And he longs to continue to do something in all of us that he can't do with us individually. He can only do with us together because he made us corporately in the same way that reflects his own existence. Remember I said God is a social reality out of which love is possible? We are a social reality out of which love is not only possible, it's commanded. This is how I will know that you're my disciples, Jesus says. That you what? Love one another. Why? Because the essence of God is love. That's his story. That's our story. The deacons are going to stand and serve. And just as the word generativity has evoked that synonym of generous, I hope that we will remember to return with thanks to God today. Amen.